0: So let's pick up in verse uh, 14, and uh, I just wanted to read kind of a couple um, opening words I jotted down to help us, I think, negotiate through some of these difficult passages that talk about God's plan. So um, as we read through uh, chapter nine, so we are we are all so bad that none of us deserve God's mercy. God is looking for a proper response to his correction. And His the proper response he's looking for is repentance, humility, and faith, that we don't harden our hearts against him. If we persist in our hardness against God, God um, just uses the hardness for his glory and shows his amazing love and patience in the midst of hardness of heart. And we see in, in this chapter examples of Pharaoh who hardened his heart and how God... Uh, used him for his purposes. We see how Israel at Sinai was very rebellious against God. But God uh, still showed mercy uh, in the midst of judgment. We see God's uh, example of his mercy in uh, exiled Israel and Judah. So the the lesson we're going to learn through here is having a soft heart in response to God's work In our lives having a faith Response so uh, Romans 9 verse 14 What shall we say then Is there unrighteousness With God certainly Not so we're picking this up In the the middle of a thought let's jump Back to Verse 12 and 13 or Verse 13 as it is written Jacob I have loved Esau I have hated so what Paul's talking about Here is that God has always known who's going to respond to him and who's not going to respond to him. And through history, we've seen this, and he's using Jacob and Esau as an example of this, that even before they were born, God said, I've chosen uh, Jacob, I've rejected Esau. Now, we've got to remember that this, Paul's quoting from an Old Testament verse in the book of Malachi that was written hundreds of years after both Jacob and Esau were dead he's really talking about the descendants of Jacob and Esau Uh, God knew that Esau was not a man who would be after his heart Uh, and it proved out over time that uh, Esau's descendants were actually resisting God's will resisting and fighting the nation of Israel And so you kind of do a a, a character study on on these these twins, Jacob and Esau. And we see Jacob valued spiritual things. And Esau was a worldly man, didn't value spiritual things at all. And then that played out with his children, with his descendants. And so really, it's not that God said, you know, Esau, I hate you as a baby. You know, can you imagine that? God saying, I hate this baby. I mean, that doesn't even make sense. There's there's a bigger picture here where God's saying, I know that um, you are not going to follow uh, my correction and my will, and so I'm basically resisting you as a, as a nation. And, Jacob, I can see that your heart is open to me. I'm going to be able to work through you, you and your family and your descendants. And... Uh, Bring the messiah into the world eventually So then verse 14 Paul's saying what shall we say Is there unrighteousness with the God So it seems unfair That he says Jacob I love Esau I hated So Paul goes on to address this He says for verse 15 for He says to Moses I will have mercy On whomever I will have mercy And I will have compassion On whomever I will have Compassion So now Paul in Explaining how God works and God's choice of certain people over other people and how God works through history. He's referring back now to a story with Moses where the nation of Israel had been brought out of slavery in Egypt. You know the story brought through the Red Sea. Delivered from a horrible horrible lifestyle. I mean they were they were slaves, but they were uh, They were living under tremendous oppression their uh, children, you know Pharaoh said if you're if the Israelites give birth to a daughter Let her live gives birth to a son throw him in the river kill him told the midwives to to kill them at birth which they refused to do and and yet This is how moses was found remember that he was put in a a little basket on on the river and Then the uh, pharaoh's daughter Found him and took him in But so there the nation of israel now are are delivered from this terrible slavery Terrible oppression and now Are are being led into the promised land by God, but every step of the way they're resisting God. You know, it's amazing how they came through the Red Sea and remember the Red Sea came back down on all all the uh Egyptians that were pursuing them and wanting to kill them. And they they had this great song they sang. They were so excited. You know, thank you, Lord, you delivered us from these terrible people, the Egyptians. But then a few days days later, the Israelites are uh running low on water and they're beginning to complain against God, against Moses. And now we see this pattern with, with these people every step of the way as God's trying to bring them into the promised land. And it's really a picture of, of all mankind. Like everybody would have reacted the same way the the Israelites did. God, God just chose this nation to say, okay, I'm going to hone in on these people, the small little nation, And I'm going to show you how I work and I'm going to show you how they respond. And it's going to teach you about mankind. It's going to teach you about me. And we see that, man, they just didn't appreciate God. They didn't have faith in God. Uh, I mean, he just brought us through the red sea on, uh, dry ground, you know, over, I don't know how many, a couple million people, (laughs) and he can't provide water for us. But, um, it's a real picture of us isn't it where God will do something awesome and God will provide for us and then a couple days later We've forgotten all about that and we're complaining and and upset and so We see now in this verse he's saying I'll have mercy on whomever. I'll have mercy. I'll have compassion on whomever I'll have compassion and this was in the context of where <clears throat> the Israelites had basically had this party and remember when they made the calf and they were worshiping the calf while Moses was up on the mountain Mount Sinai receiving the the Ten Commandments and all these uh, laws from God and having these awesome experiences with God and he had been up there about 40 days and the people started saying uh, well I guess Moses had just died or something you know he's been gone for so long um, we're just gonna have to you know make another god to lead us into the promised land and find other leaders and so aaron <coughs> moses brother kind of went along with this it was really a bad deal and and here uh um, joshua and moses are coming back down the mountain and they hear singing in the camp and uh joshua says moses what what's going on down there i mean is this uh is this like the they're, they're singing about war like they were They just want a great victory in battle. And Moses says, no, they're partying, basically. And they've made uh, themselves another god. And so Moses goes down there. You probably know the story. You know, he throws the the Ten Commandments down, the two tablets, and they break. He's upset. And God brings brings judgment on the people. Now, see, even though these were God's chosen people, it says that that day 3,000 men were killed because of this sin that they had committed. And so we see God's favor and calling on this nation, but right from the beginning, we see that there's correction, sometimes very strong correction, on, even, on these favored people. And so at this point, God had said to Moses, I'm just going to make a nation of you and forget about these guys. I'm just going to kill them all. I'm going to kill them all, and I'll just raise up a nation because they don't want anything to do with me. They're just rebellious. And then you see Moses interceding for the people. It's really a, an interesting picture, really, of, you know, the intercession of Christ uh, to the Father for grace upon us. And and so it's in this context Then Moses is having this, this uh, conversation with God and saying, Lord, please spare them you know, uh, what will people say if you kill off this whole nation? And it's almost seems like Moses is talking God into not killing the nation. And there's a there's a lot of mystery in that, you know, in, in terms of the power of prayer and the intercession. But basically, the idea was they deserved death. But God's justice said, you guys, I've I've given you so much grace. I've delivered you from slavery and you just are rejecting me you deserve my wrath you deserve death and that's really the message of all mankind all have fallen short of the glory of god and it's important that we see that as we study through this passage it's not that any of us deserve god's grace nobody does nobody does we all deserve god's wrath because of us choosing sin and and to rebel against god but so in this context, now, Moses is having this conversation with God. And Moses says, hey, God, can I see your glory? He just kind of brings this up out of nowhere. You know, can you imagine, though? I mean, you're up there on the mountain and Joshua is watching all this. It's fascinating. And God's like, uh, Moses says, God, can I, can I see your glory? God's like, well. You can't really see me and live. That's a problem. If you see me, you'll die. So, um what I'm going to do, I'm going to I'm going to pass by you and I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock and I'm going to put my hand over over you so you can't see my face and then as I pass by, you can see my back. And that's the best you you're going to get, Moses, cuz, you know. And okay, cool. So as as God is passing by, Moses It's really a beautiful thing. You know, this is what God says about himself. He says, as he's passing him, this, this, you know, God of judgment and the, on Mount Sinai and the, and the thunder and the lightning and the people are scared to go near the mountain. This awesome, holy God, as he's passing Moses, excuse me. He says, I'll have mercy on whoever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And that's the heart of God. I mean, this is what he revealed to Moses. This is his glory. This is the glory of who God is. Even though we all deserve judgment, we have Christ interceding for us, and and those of us who are smart enough, wise enough to cling to the person of Jesus Christ, we have God's favor. We are God's chosen. You understand that? There are conditions about being God's chosen. It's not an arbitrary choice. If you've met the conditions of bowing your knee before God, being humble enough to to learn you're a sinner and admitting your need for grace and forgiveness in the life of Christ, and, and every day you're just bowing to him, God says, I'll have mercy on you. I'll have compassion on you. Because you're you're willing to reach out to me. You're not stubborn. You're not hard-hearted. And then you contrast, we'll get to in a minute, with Pharaoh who who did not humble himself, who did not bow his knee. And isn't that beautiful? God says, I'm, I'll have mercy on whom I decide to have mercy. Well, who has he decided to have mercy on? Those who've trusted Christ. Again, it's not an arbitrary thing. I'll have mercy on you. Uh, no, I don't like you. Mercy on you, yes, no. Yeah. No, it's... it's locked in to those who will trust in Jesus Christ and we learn at the end of the chapter why he did not choose Israel it says um what shall we say then that verse 30 that gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness even the righteousness of faith but Israel pursuing the law of righteousness have not attained to the law of righteousness So he's telling us why Gentiles were chosen, the Christians, and while Israel was not chosen. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone. So basically what Paul's saying there, the conditions for being the chosen are to admit you're a sinner. That's the stumbling stone he's talking about where you come to uh, the, the, right, the self-righteous Jewish person and say, you're a sinner. And they're like, no, I'm not. I follow the law. And that's how Paul was before he got saved. I say, I, I, he says, I keep the law blameless. so you tell him, You're telling me I'm a sinner? I'm not a sinner. Well, that's a stumbling stone to them. See, the law didn't have its proper effect in your life. The law is supposed to drive you to Christ to show you you're a sinner. And then by faith, you receive Christ, and now you're God's chosen. So that's the reason you're not chosen, because you don't attain, you don't pursue God through Jesus Christ. Verse 16 of chapter 9. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. So Paul's saying none of us can run fast enough To keep up with god none of us can will ourselves to be righteous we can only depend on the mercy of god so those again who've chosen to trust in christ god's mercy is over them but you can't no there's none righteous no not even one for verse 17 for the scripture says to the pharaoh for this very purpose i have raised you up that i may show my power in you and that that my name may be declared in all the earth therefore he has mercy on whom he wills and whom he wills he hardens now again that might sound like was this arbitrary god just i'm gonna harden you i'm not gonna harden you no it's in the context of the person that he's dealing with in verse 19 he he, paul's asking this question you will say to me then why does he still find fault for who has resisted his will? So you might think that it's God's arbitrary decision and will and that there's no way for you to resist God's will. Well, God made me a sinner. God made me not to want to serve him, so there's nothing I can do about it. I'm just, I'm just going to send it up. No, no, that's not what is being taught here. And think of the example he's given. He's given an example of the Pharaoh here. Where God says, for this purpose, I've raised you up, that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. So it's you look at Pharaoh during the time where Moses came to him and said, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, who are you? Who's this Lord? I'm not going to I'm not going to let these people go. I mean, this is free labor. We're, we're living high on the hog here. You guys are doing you're building these awesome cities for me. Uh, free labor and uh in in fact they were so brutal toward the the israelites uh they they purposely wanted to make their service painful it says they made them serve with rigor they were harsh toward them to the point where they said um, oh we're just going to kill your babies um because we're afraid we'll let the girls live but we're afraid you guys are just getting too prosperous." Too big, too strong. So we're gonna try to break your spirit by making you work super hard. And so you you see a man here, Pharaoh, who's the you know, the leader of all this, and giving direction to abuse these people, God's chosen people. Uh he's a man whose heart is is really hardened that he's not responding uh to God. I mean, think about the, the miracles that he saw, you know, that uh, Moses and Aaron went to him and said, um, you know, God says, let my people go. If you don't, I'm going to, um, you know, send the, the flies or the frogs or all the different plagues that he sent. And Mo, uh, Pharaoh just did not respond. He kept hardening his heart against God. So Pharaoh, it's kind of like Pharaoh against God here, right? Who's going to win? And Pharaoh's a very, very powerful man. I mean, the most powerful man in the world. He has this great army behind him. He's built this great civilization, and he's he's pretty proud and, you know, thinks that he can somehow resist God's will. But who's really in charge here, see? And so God kind of lets him go on for a while, and, and the scripture says after about five of the miracle, after five of the plagues that was sent... It, it, the scripture said before that Pharaoh hardened his heart and then after that it says God hardened his heart so basically what being taught here is if you're resisting God's will and you've you've so hardened yourself against God you know God's going to still get his will done it's not that he's hardening you or or making you know forcing you to be hard but if you're so hardened against God God will then take your life and use it for his glory still and as he said to pharaoh i'll i'll, I'll show my power in you that my name may may declare it in all the earth so even when it got to the point where pharaoh you know any reasonable person would have let the israelites go after you know all their cattle's destroyed uh, just all these terrible plagues Pharaoh wouldn't even let him go then. And then of course the the whole story of the Passover where the firstborn is is killed and Pharaoh finally did say, "Okay, I'll let you go." But then changed his mind and went after them. And so it's it's not even reasonable what he was doing, but God had hardened him and said, "Well, you're hardening yourself against me. You've rejected me. I'm in charge here. I'm going I've chosen now to use you." To reflect my glory and how I can bring down your whole army uh, as you pursue the Israelites through the Red Sea so God's just showing who's in charge it's not that he's forcing anyone to be any way you've made the choice now God's gonna work with you based on his glorious plan so verse 20 says but indeed O man Who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? And what if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had prepared beforehand for glory even us whom he called not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. As he says also in Hosea, I will call them my people who were not my people and her beloved who is not my beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. There they shall be called sons of the living God. So again, he's explaining the reason Israel has not accepted the Messiah he is saying that you 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 really can't ultimately understand uh, these things there is a, there is a mystery in it but verse 20 he's saying how can you reply against God the thing formed say to him who formed it why have you made me like this the the potter has power over the clay to make one for uh, honor one for dishonor so it's a picture of a a potter making a clay a clay pot for say a trash can versus a clay pot for uh, flowers one for honor one for for dishonor and so again when a person hardens himself against God and is resisting God God's saying I'm I'm gonna use you uh, even though you're resisting me you're not cooperating with me I'm in charge and I'm going to show my glory." Uh, And my justice and even my wrath uh, Through you And those who have Humbled their hearts Have a soft heart Have exercised faith in me Those are going to be my objects of, Of mercy That I prepared beforehand For glory So I think the message for us Man make sure your heart is soft Toward God Make sure you're responding To God's correction in your life Make sure that you're not hardening yourself at all against the Lord. And and you'll be in that category of being an object of God's blessing. And so I love this verse twenty-five. He called I will call them my people who are not my people, her beloved who is not my beloved. So the Messiah came, he, he demonstrated Miracles showed himself who he was and most of the Jews rejected that yet many of the the Gentiles responded and and God knew this this was not a surprise to him this is the point Paul's making the rejection of the Messiah by Israel (coughs) is not a surprise God knew this hundreds of years ago he prophesied and Paul is pulling all these scriptures out from the Old Testament to prove his point. And I love that, though, to think, you know, we are his beloved. As I talked about earlier, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Do you think of yourself that way? I'm God's beloved. I'm God's favorite. I'm God's chosen. That's what Jesus said. You know, you need to just abide in my love. Just live in that place of recognizing because you're trusting Christ, you are God's beloved. The same favor he shows toward his son. He now shows toward you because he sees you in his son. The righteousness of Christ is your righteousness. So we need to enjoy that place. Just live in that place. And then verse 27, Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the children of Israel (coughs) be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved for he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth, and as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of Sabbath had left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom. We have, we would have been made like Gomorrah. So Sodom and Gomorrah, of course, was that wicked nation that God uh, destroyed, completely destroyed everybody, and uh, you know called Lot and his family out but the point he's making there again that we all deserve judgment it's god's mercy that he would even call anybody out and even though we're israel had been such a rebellious nation god was still working with them and it's it's to the the glory of his grace that he continues to work and show mercy to anybody <clears throat> and so this scripture from isaiah it's basically now referring back to the history of israel how uh, you know the northern kingdom had gone into captivity by assyria and a couple hundred years later the southern kingdom had gone into captivity into the babylon and so you know just the, the whole history of the nation of israel speaks of their rebellion against god and in god having to bring correction into their lives and then out of that correction, he said, there were some people that responded to his correction ultimately and came back from the captivity or responded uh, in a way that God had wanted. But it only seems to be a remnant. It seems to be a small number. You know, As Jesus said, uh, small is the gate and narrow is the path that leads to life and few are those that follow it. And you know, I want to be among those who follow that narrow path Try to do things God's way to seriously be seeking God in his word uh, Making it all about making him the center of my life Responding to his correction Receiving by faith his power and grace And taking this Christian life seriously So that I can be blessed I can please God So that uh, that's what I believe the real message is here. We see in the history of Israel, there were corre- there was correction brought, but only a remnant really seemed to respond to that. You know, the the people that went off into Babylon, uh, most of them just stayed in Babylon. Hey, we're we're fat and happy here. We're okay. But you had that that small number that longed for the nation of Israel and their history and all the the. Uh, the beautiful things related to to being Jewish, to having the law of God, having the the temple, having the 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 history they had, and wanting to have a relationship with God. That's what God is looking for for everyone to respond to His correction. And then, um, verse thirty: What shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith? But Israel pursuing the law of righteousness has not attained to the law of righteousness. So it it just seems like a puzzle to, to many of the people in the first century here. You got this the nation of Israel. They seem so religious. They seem like they're, they're, they're seeking the things of God. And yet the Messiah came and they, they missed him. But then you have the Gentiles who weren't even seeking righteousness. But then when the gospel was presented to them, they responded. And Paul says, verse 32, why? Why is this? Why did the, the Israel not attain to righteousness, a right relationship with God? Because they, they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. So there, there's the answer right there to the whole predestination thing. It wasn't predestined by God. It was the response that the people had to interacting with God. You cannot relate to God by law. You cannot be good enough. You cannot work hard enough to attain to righteousness. The law is is a mirror to show us how sinful we are. And, of course, we're always striving to try to live up to the law and, and try to be good people and to to do what's right but we find ourselves falling short and that drives us to the savior Jesus Christ for forgiveness but not only for forgiveness for but for his power then to live through us so we learn this life of repentance and faith and seeking God but when you think you're already righteous in and of yourself you've missed the whole point and God's saying I'm, I'm trying to get through to you but you know, you're self righteous. It's like uh the the story of the two men in prayer that Jesus told. The the one uh I think he was a Pharisee went into the temple to pray and he said, Lord, I thank you uh that I'm not like other men, you know, sinners, but I you know, I fast twice a week, I give of tithes, and I'm just basically a really righteous person, God. Thank you for making me so righteous. And then it says there's the sinner guy. Next to him, in fact, the righteous guy said, "I thank you, I'm not like that lousy sinner over there. I'm paraphrasing. And the sinner guy is saying he wouldn't even lift his eyes up to heaven. he was just beating his breast and goes, "God, have mercy on me, a sinner' And Jesus said, "Which one of those two went away justified? In other words, which one of those two had a right relationship with God? It was the sinner who knew he was a sinner and was asking God for mercy, the self-righteous person there's a there's a blockage there they're not getting it they're blinded they're blinded to the they're full just as full of sin as that person they just they're they're deceived into self-righteousness and that's what the next verse is, says here um for they stumbled at the stumbling stone as it is written behold i lay in zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame so jesus is that that stumbling stone the rock of offense coming and saying, repent of your sin and believe on me and you can be saved. And they're thinking, what I, I don't need to be saved. I'm righteous. And that's a problem. You know, when you try to witness to somebody and lead them to Christ and they say, I'm not a sinner. I'm, I'm, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, oh man, they're blind. They're just, and all you can do is pray for them that the Holy spirit will just work in their life and show them the depth of their sin. And so, And, you know, as we learn to walk with God, it's kind of reflected in Paul's life where, as you study through his letters, you can see at the beginning of his ministry, he said, I'm the least of the apostles. Uh, And then later, which, which being the least of the apostles is a pretty high position, right? Later on in his life, he said, oh, I'm the least of the saints, well, Paul, you seem to be getting worse over time. You were the least of the apostles, now you're the least of the saints. The very end of his life in Second Timothy, the last letter he wrote, he says, I'm the chief of sinners. <laughs> it's like Paul, what's going on? Well, it was not that he was getting worse. Just the closer he got to Christ and the, the glory of the light of Christ shone on him, he saw more of his sin and saw, Oh man, I thought I was doing pretty well, but really um I, I'm in a bad place. Just like when John the Baptist, no no, John, the Apostle John in the island of Patmos, remember when Christ appeared to him? How did John respond? He went up and said, hey, buddy, good to see you, Jesus. It's been a while. No, it says he fell on his face as a dead man. Because can you imagine the glory of the light and the brilliance of Jesus Christ shining upon you and you see your sin? Yeah, that's the appropriate place to be is on your face before him. And uh, even though he knew he was saved and Jesus loved him, this is the holy God appearing to you. And so this is how God wants us to interact with him, uh, to trust in him, to not stumble on the stone of offense, calling you a sinner. Yes, you are a sinner. I'm sorry if that offends you, but that is a rock of offense. And But the to end it, he says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. So if you're a person who has decided you're going to live by faith in Jesus, you're you're not going to be sorry for that decision. You're not going to be put to shame, you're not going to be embarrassed. You're going to be able to stand before God and say, "God, this is the salvation you offered. Repentance and faith in Jesus, and this is where I focused my entire life on to walk with you your way." And uh man, I'm glad I did that. I'm not I'm not sorry that I made that choice. So let's pray. Lord, We thank you for